The Effenrad Snowboard Podcast is presented by Vans. Season 8 of Effenrad is sponsored by Wired Snowboards and on Optics, the Boardroom Snowboard Shop, FindAnEpicAgent.com, and Tribute Board Shop in Nelson, B.C. Wired Snowboards create hand-built, high-quality snowboards right here in Vancouver, B.C. Devin Walsh joined the Wired team and is riding his souped-up Vancouver Canucks board right now. It's awe-inspiring to see Devin hitting the Seymour side hits as he's simply one of the greatest snowboarders to ever do it for a living. Devin and a giant crew of notable snowboard celebrities recently took a trip to Japan to celebrate J.F. Peljat's 50th birthday and the snow god smiled upon them. Rob built Devin a custom chase and although Devin expected to ride it maybe only once or twice, he ended up using it pretty much the entire trip. Powder boards seriously work in powder. Getting a Chase 162 changed my life forever, and I'm happy to report that Devin Walsh and listener Heinke Donenberg have experienced the same transformation after riding their own Chase boards. You can order a wired board through an authorized dealer near you or go to wiredsnowboards.com to check out everything Wired Snowboards has to offer. Support also comes from Dekine, Grouse Mountain, Mount Seymour, Pro Standard GoPro Accessories, and Volcom Outerwear. We're almost at 500 subscribers of our YouTube channel. You could be one of them and watch the show on YouTube and get the show directly into your YouTube feed. Please subscribe. If you'd like to win a free 1910 hoodie or long sleeve t-shirt with a Scofe and Jamie Lynn art collab on it, pause the show, go to the FNRAD YouTube channel and comment, I want free 1910 shit in the comments of this episode, or tag three friends in the Instagram post along with at 1910, and I'll pick a winner this Sunday. Jamie Lynn and Scofe make a super sick art team. And this is an early release thing, so the clothes are amazing. Trust me, you want some. Special thanks this episode to Beneath Apparel, Tomahawk Indigenous Products, and be sure to check out Kaya J and the Drink Ticket's new album, Better. Jason Ford is a legendary pro snowboarder who left the Burton International Pro Team to start Ride Snowboards with Tim Pogue, Jamie Salter, and a group of people who would change the world. Jason Ford was being groomed for a Burton Pro model when he quit his contract. He designed and rode ride boards for two and a half years before joining Solomon Snowboards before they even had made their first snowboards. Jason Ford's first pro career on Burton saw him going toe-to-toe in competitions against Brushy, Kelly, Palmer, Duck Boy for a true world champion title. And the amount of coverage he got on Burton was just insane. Jason Ford was snowboarding's golden boy during snowboarding's golden era, and I couldn't be more stoked to have him on the show. So Burton got a coach. They moved us all to Tahoe. We had a big team. I think there was 14 of us. There was two houses. Oh, my God. Do you think you could remember all 14? That's a a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, Don't make me do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There were some big names in there. Yes, there there were. The classics, the Brushies, the Craigs, um, Doc Jacoby. I think uh, Warburton and... 
and Jimmy Scott were my roommates. Nice. Oh, yeah. I forgot Jeff Davis was in that Jeff group Davis, as well. Andy Coghlan. Yeah. There was yeah. Eric Webster. You know, yeah. guys like that. There was a racing crew. There was a freestyle crew. But Jer- Jeremy was a, he was a racing coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we were, we had Boreal passes and that's where we trained and there would be powder days and he's setting gates and we're kind of like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, and people are sneaking off in their race boards and riding pow and they did not work in yeah. powder. And um, you were bunk mates with Jimmy and Warburton and oh, Warbs. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It was classic. Um, and it was, um, and upstairs, you know, it was like Andy Coglin and Webster and brushy, and I don't remember who had the third bedroom because they were up in the loft, those guys. So what about food and stuff? Is there like a, is there a cook and everything no. at this place? No, the house was covered. <laughs> cook, jeez. <laughs> Maybe at Craig's house. We were, Craig was over at a different place with Noah and Duck and yeah. um, a few others. But like, um, I think we just made our food. We just made our food. We just made cereal, like in the breakfast, you know, we had cereal for breakfast, lunches on the hill. Yeah. You know, I was the type of guy that just had something sugary for lunch. I just have a brownie for lunch, (laughs) just like enough to like get you back and survive the day. And then, you know, you go home and you make something or grab McDonald's. Wow. It was pretty, it was pretty simple. But that year we, um, you know, we, we worked on fitness. We ran, we we're supposed to run two miles every morning. We we're supposed to do, you know, push ups and dips and all these things, plus being on the hill. And Jerry, Jerry was kind of a little bit more like combat style and the way he'd set courses. <laughs> I love and it. So it was really cool um, and hard. Yeah. And then, you know, you come out of the first contest um, or out to the first contest was in Blackcomb. And the Burton guys, I think it was a GS, I won. And then everybody on our team placed, like, of the of the top 15 spots, we had, like, 11. Oh, wow. Burton just mopped it up. It was yeah. crazy. How many years was that, that there was training down there? I think there was three. That's, a, that's awesome. I think we had Jerry for two, because uh, the next year was Donner, Donner. Yeah. And then we switched to this guy, Bill Benyon, after that. And I don't know why there was a change. Um, and then I just, you know, I stopped racing after that. Yeah, Jacoby talked about some drama with Jerry, a girl, you know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, him and Tara got married, Tara Everhart. Yeah. So um, I'm guessing that was the girl. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Worked well, out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, Jim Rippy was saying that he asked you guys, what board should I get? And he he ended up getting the air six one yeah because i can't remember Jeff. if it's stiffer or if it's softer well brushy was brushy was the air guy yeah um and then they made the asm airs which they put me on yeah and then um you know craig had his boards but in the beginning we all wanted to ride craig's boards and yeah. they just started discouraging us off of craig's boards probably because they didn't want to you know just pile up the royalties <laughs> yeah. Diversified a little bit, you know. But everybody did ride the Craig Sports eventually. As long as we could. Yeah. And, yeah. Until they just. Oh, so the. It the, was like a mandate. They just yeah, like yeah. stop riding Craig Sports. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Like they're like, you got to pick something else. It was better. I mean, we all, we just liked. Yeah. You know, like Craig's purple board. Yeah. I felt like I, I rode really well on that one. Yeah. And well, then they took that thing away from me and then, you know, put me on the first ASMR. Yeah. Rippy was talking about it. Those ASMs were pretty narrow right 
All the boards are narrow, especially I have a size 13 foot. So yeah. it so was you, a challenge for me. Yeah. What would you do? You'd put camp pads or? I would grind everything down. Mm. I would wear smaller boots, ride with bent toes and, <laughs> and grind everything. You know, oh still ride God. a smaller boot. Yeah. Because of that, you just got used to Well, it. now the boards are wider and I'm like, oh, I can actually ride a foot where I can wiggle my toes. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just dealt with it. You know, it wasn't made for a size 12 boot. Oh, there wasn't a board. And I was, was I'm a 13. Yeah. So I'd be in an 11 and a half or a 12. Oh, boot, wow. And I just do a different liner and grind it down. And so it wasn't warm. Until the fat bob, there really wasn't anything that was made. And, and that, the fat bob, it had, the fat bob had the width, but then everything yeah. else was lame. Like, you know, <laughs> it was like a popsicle stick. Yeah. With, yeah, it's true. It's, it's like they got one piece of it correct. And yeah. Then, and then, you know, some of the, some of the wide boards that came out, I remember hating the way they performed because they, they would, it sound, it felt like it took forever to go from edge to edge. Totally. You know, cause they just hadn't worked out the rest of the, the rest of the dimensions. To the geometry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's absolutely. But now the boards true. are, you know, they're wider and they're great. They're right. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I've, there there are some taper boards that are just super short, big fat nose. Yeah, I remember I rode like a wide board during that Fat Bob era, and it was great in powder as far as like compared to a cut down narrow board of the same length. But yeah, they were so lanky, they were so bad. But then we also had like low backs or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, we were confused. I, it's like we. <laughs> The sport of snowboarding loves to pursue confusion. <laughs> you know? Yep. It's like, oh, this works really good. Yeah. You know what we should do? Let's change it. We have a to lot. change it every year a lot. Let's so that, really change it. So that last it. year's stuff is completely obsolete, which came out of the fact that last year's stuff was obsolete because no, nobody was making anything good. So it was really exciting every year. Well, I had, I had a couple of years good. ago board showed up i pulled it out of the thing i'm staring at this and i'm like this is the weirdest looking snowboard i've ever seen i looked at this board for five minutes before i realized it was upside down <laughs> i was looking i had the tail as the nose and i'm like oh my god i hate it <laughs> you know and i wrote it right wrote fine yeah. but i'm like i look down and i'm just not you know it's half of the game is looking down and being excited right about what you're right. on yeah. in any sport right yeah when i look down and feel like no this is the right setup for me yeah when when rippy was showing off his first board the air 6.1 the one that says air yeah. on the top but when he flipped it over and you see those like i don't know what that font is it's like brick burton letters and then the air on the tail and he's kicking it out. He's like, when you kick it out, the air on the, it just looks so good with that air right on the tail, which it did. Yeah. Like it was everything in the magazines for two years, two years straight, three years, maybe three years straight. Just every good shot had the air, the base of that board. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. Like uh, your, uh, tuck knee over the, over the cat. Yeah, the technique of the cat has um it still shows up. It's a you know, it was a good one. It's, it's definitely one of my more iconic photos for sure. Yeah, who took that one? Rod Walker. Oh, I don't even know who that is. So Rod was a Colorado, is a Colorado photographer. He Rad. kind of vanished for a while, but he's reemerged. You can find him. Yeah. You know, if you look for him on social. Um but he I don't know how, he's a skier. Um I don't know who found him, but he was really 
uh, he was really good. Like when Trevor and I used to work together a lot and I would tell him what Rod did. Oh, nice. And so Trevor, you know, adapted and found his own sort of model. But like, I'd, I'd come back as like Rod brought this energy. He'd be like, yeah, he'd get y'all stoked. Like if you just did something, you want to run back up there and do it again, you know, yep. uh, try something different. So he, he carried that energy. He was really fun. He was a bit adventurous. Cool. You know, my first Burton photo shoot that I did. Um, officially like a travel one was in Colorado with Noah Brandon, Brad Reeser and Betsy Shaw. Brad. And we drove all through different parts of Colorado and we weren't really sure what we shot. They sh- He had a shooting like all his lifestyle stuff. So we're like standing around in front of some saloon entrance and in the street and, you know, a town and, and it was all these shots that didn't really get used. Like yeah. thousands of them maybe, <laughs> you know? And then they, and so it was pretty funny because we look back and we're like, yeah, it was kind of lame. Um, but there was some shots, you know, we went sandboarding in Alamosa and the dunes, uh, which was, you know, I still want to go back there and just check it out because it was so beautiful. And, um, yeah, those, those photos, um, that Rod ca- captured, no matter where it was, always had pop. They were super sharp. They were yeah. really vibrant. The colors um, were are, like, I, it, it stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that Baker, that Baker shoot was an overcast day. It wasn't a nice day. You know, the mountain was closed. Um, <clears throat> they pushed up a jump. We started hitting it. We put the cat under it. Really? Yeah. And then we started, I think of it as a sunny, vibrant day. But. It wasn't, I don't remember it being that way. I mean, we had some sun pockets, but it wasn't, um, it's just the fact that, you know, the colors. Yeah. The know, colors are we great. Had, we were wearing the colors. The, the cat was red. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, some of the guys were, were board sliding a rail on the cat. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's so early for that. Yeah. I think that's 90. 90 or 91. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. So how do you get on the Burton team? For me, um, when I, I was snowboarding for Barfoot. So I got sponsored by Barfoot in high school. How? Uh, Andy Coughlin basically vouched for me. So I was competing and, you know, you, you, you go from these things where you just want to snowboard and do it and learn how to do it. And then you go to these contests cause it's like, oh, I want to go to the contest and see yeah. other people and see how I do. And you get results and they're marginal. Um, and then you, you're like, I want new equipment, but it, it's cost money I don't have. So if I can get it for free, yeah, we'll get sponsored. Um, and in my high school, um, the halls is Steve and Greg Hall live there. Greg was on the first Burton team. And so he's part of like the first catalogs and all that stuff. Oh, rad. Um, and then Steve would get all the free, free stuff from Greg. And then Noah Brandon was in my high school. Oh, and wow. so they were getting free. So I, so there was like already a connection, like they're getting free stuff. Maybe I can get free stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I wanted to do something different than Burton. Um, and Barfoot, you know, Chuck responded and Andy, you know, gave him a call and said, yeah, you should pick him up. And so I went to, um, the purgatory. Um, they were like the, the time trials, they called them Yeah. in 88. And, um, it was my first year out of high school. Uh, I was sleeping on the floor at the Barfoot house. And, oh, wow. Um, like Chuck and Ernie and Evan and all those Well, it was guys. a team house. Yeah. So it was like, um, like Estes and, you know, oh, wow. some of those guys. Um, yeah. And so I was sleeping on the floor there and then riding the pipe, my, you know, Steve Hall, my friend comes up and says, hey, uh, Jake asked me if you want to ride for Burton. And I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> 
I'm like, you know, I'd die to ride for Burton. He's like, well, I'm like, you're, you're kidding, right? And he's like, no, I'm serious. And so uh, I went down and talked to him. I talked to John Yusko, who's the manager. And next thing I know, I'm reading a contract and, you know, moving over for product. Yeah. (laughs) Product and incentives. (laughs) Yeah. Cause Chuck complains a lot about Burton stealing his team. Yeah. So that's, that's, I always wondered about who's talking about. Because Boyer didn't go to Burton and Boyer stayed. Estes yeah, he was, didn't go he was to a Chuck loyalist and yeah. so was Estes. And, yeah. You know, um, but for me, it was, um, you know, I, Burton was 30 minutes decision. from my house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how could I not be interested in that? Yeah, of course. So what's the first board that you pick? I picked that, um, the air, you know, the first air. Yeah. Um, yeah. before they put mystery on it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, buddy. Come here. All right. Relax. Yeah, that very first air, a little bit more pointy. And st- not that one. Not the blue and the next uh, one. The next one, the yeah. black one. That yeah. was the mystery air, but it yeah. just didn't have mystery written on mine. Oh wow, that'd be mm-hmm. a very valuable board. Huh? Noah sent me one. I've got one that's only been on snow a day. Oh wow. Uh, the garage just showed up in the mail one day. Where the heck did it come from? Noah had it. <laughs> no. Just showed up and said, "Enjoy." That's so I'm nuts. like, you're kidding me. Yeah, that's, that's so incredible. Awesome. I have like a visceral feeling about Burton at that time. Like the way that the bindings fit. You know, because before that we've been direct mounting. I'd been direct mounting my boards. Mm-hmm. So like to have, you know, machined screws that fit like in inserts and like go in the little pockets of the bindings and then drilling out the bindings to try and get better, you know, angles or whatever. And just the way the highbacks didn't really fold, they were supposed to. But like, if you did, you're they, talking the yellow highbacks, the the white ones with the yeah. air on the oh, back, yeah. or mm-hmm. even the uh, or the black ones the year after with the blue kind of uh, ninja star. Yeah, so that first year was the yellow highbacks, yeah. same ones, and then they went to the white with yeah. the air. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's when I got the Craig. I got Craig boards, so I had the first like the ketchup mustard, but. It was white, yellow, black. Ooh, those are rare too. Yeah. Yeah. That, those were team boards. I was mm. team colors. Yeah. So, that, so d- does your snowboarding instantly improve? Yeah. I started winning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did. I just started winning stuff. Like um, right away. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I was, I only got one board. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I got that board and then I borrowed race boards from Jenny Han. So she had all these prototypes and all these different things. And so at the time, Jake was into, I'd heard he was into BMW, so all the boards were M's, you know. So there was there was a board an M14 that I was really fast on. Yeah, and so I would pick it up from Jenny on Thursday. Yeah, I would you know hand tune it, wax it, race it, and then I return it on Sunday, and I win. Were your results um, in both categories, like in in racing and in freestyle? Yeah, so New England Cup, we were doing that, and I I um I was winning, you know, pipes which you laugh, you know, it looks like a plowed driveway more than a half pipe. <laughs> and then uh, I was winning moguls. I was winning all the racing stuff. I was sort of doing, and I won the overall. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and yeah. And, you know, that was a change for me. So it went from, you know, having one board and one pair of boots and one jacket and buying pants to, um, <laughs> you know, give you the sudden, pro form, right, I started right. getting a lot more. Yeah. 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 And then the next year was the Burton house in Tahoe. You know, yeah. They moved us out. 
the heyday and of I the was team. On the, you know, the A team, the Burton A team. So did the Burton A team travel around and do demos and stuff <clears throat> at that time as well as training together? So that year, I mean, that's the same year we filmed Scream. So it came out the following season. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the first year we filmed Scream. So, um, so we, I wasn't doing demos yet. I mean, we do East Coast demos. We like trampoline demos and, you know, back in those days. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we competed, we traveled together. They made a mid-season cut of the team. Basically, they they kicked people off the world ter- tour. Wow. Um, so half the team and, you know, a bunch of the team riders went home. And then- That would have um, been a bummer. Was Were you like worried that that might happen to you? No, because I was leading. Got it. Uh, in the points. So yeah. it was fine for me, but I couldn't, you know, the pressure of, the pressure of being chased- <clears throat> excuse me like um like being chased for the lead you know chasing the lead i was really into i like doing that yeah but having the lead the points lead and running from people interesting was something that i didn't know how to deal with right you know because you're 19 20 years old yeah um and you're just sort of doing this and um, is craig still competing at this point yeah yeah i was ahead of craig holy shit and then um and so you're like I didn't even realize it until we're in St. Moritz and I'm sitting there at the top of the pipe and I hear below me is Tim Wendell and Paolo Dabini. And Paolo's like, um, so who's who's like the top guy in the you know in the States now? And I hear Tim say, My name. Yeah. And Paolo's like, Who's that? And then Tim looks back and points at me. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. Like what? I'm the guy to oh. beat. I, I mean, I was. It never occurred to me, right? So that didn't sit well. And then the the racing, which was my strongest suit, I didn't do that great. Really? That like know, it, it just got inside your head? <clears throat> well, I didn't. You know, I, I don't. Even, I don't. I certainly didn't podium, but I don't think I was top ten or something. You know. Um, and then the pipe. I don't know how well I did. It wasn't. I wasn't happy with it. And then I decided to not go to Japan. And instead, I did a photo shoot. I went and traveled around Transworld, and we did this like Switzerland, France thing. Oh, sick! Who was on that shoot? Um, Rado, um, uh, Oliver. I'm sorry, Oliver. I'm forgetting your last name right now. I've, Oliver I've, Holtz. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. I remember the pictures from that. Yeah, and then there was, uh, you know, Fran Richards wrote the story. Yeah, uh, he took some photos. Lee wrote the story. Lee Crane wrote the Lee story. Crane, and Fran, yeah. Fran shot the photos. So we traveled around Verbier and Chimney and did a bunch of stuff. So it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and in, so instead of going to Japan, Brushy, who was going to be sent home, took my seat to go to Japan. Oh. And then he won the contest in Japan. So so Brushy was on the edge. That he was, was on the story. He was that on the cut like, line. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was crazy. It made no sense. But that that's how it started to like cut become. from the team or just cut, cut from, from the like, tour send you home like where you're getting off the world you know but you're still circuit. on yeah mm-hmm. i get it i get it i mean it's but it, it went was from the, probably like, unnecessary all these people went yeah. to, to whistler yep competed in the black home contest and then everyone went to europe and then after that only some people go to japan and you know, no one saw that coming. And you're like, "Whoa, this is this is different. This isn't like and no one's really talking about it." Yeah, because everybody's young, and you, <clears throat> you know, just happy to be there. On. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, 
Oh, you didn't go to Japan. I didn't go. No, I went and did the photo shoots and, you know, um, you know, I, I learned pretty quickly. I was like, Ooh, well, that's a different way to play play this game. Right. 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 Less pressure. (laughs) So much more fun. Right. It's really fun. Yeah. 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 So we did that. And then, um, you know, I came back and I can't remember the the contest that followed, but there were several, you know, it was probably like Breck and the open and things like that. And I finished the year, um, you know, North American champion for giant slalom and second overall in slalom and second overall, overall. Um, I won the Canadian tour. Um, so, you know, my contest results, were good. Yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, my last, um, slalom race that I had for the season, I think was at, was the U S open or second to last. And I butt checked and I was pissed and I kind of stomped my feet through the finish line and ended up jumping the beam. So I didn't, I got a DNF, um, which is why, you know, Craig beat me that year for the overall Craig got first, I got second. So you could have been that first. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's, it's like, I just never, none of this stuff ever occurred to me where I, if, I wasn't chasing the result. I was chasing personal performance. Yep. And you know, you're younger and emotional and stupid. So, you know, you, you like have a little temper tantrum and next thing you know, you get a DNF and then you run the math and you're like, shoot. If you would have the just, title. Yeah. Yeah. The title was just like that. that. Yeah. Oof. Um, you know, and you know, I would speculate that Craig was smarter than me and knew all that was doing that math. Right. Um, well, it, yeah, it, so, it, it really mattered to He's him. a good guy to lose to, though. Yeah, 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 of course, <laughs> of course. The, and was that the last year that he won the overall? Because Dabini took it the next year or maybe two years later. <clears throat> yeah, like Dabini, um, I don't remember who did it after afterwards, but like Dabini and then, of course, Bertrand, yeah. you know, was always really good at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it became like a European thing. Craig lost interest in competing in Alpine. Yeah. And a lot of people did. And, it, you know, it was a couple more years for me before I totally stopped buckling to hard boots and race boards. Yeah, there was that Kildee board when you joined Ride. But did, was there a Ford race board? No, there was just the the big red Ford and the, and the little gold. Yeah, board. we had done um, with Burton. There was, you know, I, I hated my equipment. We were on these PJs that were really soft. And, um, you know, what the product team had told me was, when I was complaining to them about the equipment, I was like, this, these aren't working for me. I'm not, I'm like, I'm using more power. I want to put a lot of energy into the board. And I want a lot back and I want this wide thing. It's torsionally too soft. The shapes are all wrong. The length is wrong. Everything is off. And they told me that, you know, when you start winning again, we'll start listening to you. Jesus. And I was like, <laughs> so then they, somebody agreed to make a prototype. Yeah. And they, you know, it was Kildee and I designed it. This is one we're living in the condos up at Donner Ski Ranch. And um took a long time to get it. And they called it the KF one, but they're like, You can never talk you can never tell anyone it's that. You really? can't name it the KF one. It's not a pro model. Like they're really adamant about that. Um, but it showed up after I decided to never race again. <laughs> so I've got one I've got it in the garage, it's never been mounted. So the Kildee Ford one. That's yeah, it was the KF one. And is that built There's two of them that, made that was built by Burton. Burton, yeah, and then wow, and then you know, I think it might have been the next year or so, you know, is when we left to go to ride and Kildee came over, and then he he started building, you know, he built the one year of ride race boards, yeah, um, which were the boards I was looking for, 
and they're very they look like today's race boards you know but those yeah. were the equipment i was looking for to compete in because i couldn't ride those you know those asymmetrical pjs they, they didn't work for me yeah they were more f- like free carving boards they were very european influenced Mm-hmm. And, and John and Peter had, had they just had yeah. a different style, you know. They totally. had a different approach to the hill, yeah. And yeah. you know, like more finesse, you know. They had a lot of that. No, I want we wanted to just attack, yeah, yeah. We were trying to fast, right? Jerry was teaching us, was yeah. The attack, you know. So they um, and Mark Fawcett, you know, was getting these Sims boards or K two boards, I think, at the time, and they they were they were the ones, you know. We're like, yeah, fuzzy's fast, and like we gotta we need to have equipment like that. Yeah, he was unbeatable um, for a couple of years mm-hmm. in there. And, you know, he definitely has the skills, but he, he had some equipment that was working in his favor too. So he had, he put all the pieces together. Yeah. I and think f- that, I think that happened to him afterwards that, that all of a sudden there were these race boards that were that next generation that he was like, I can't catch these guys. Yeah. What's going on here? Like it's a change in, in geometry or whatever. Yeah. I do remember those ride race boards looking pretty I never slick. wrote it. You never even <laughs> I, wrote I never it. picked one up. Yeah. Never yeah. touched one. We had them in the shop. That yeah, did, did so your board was made to be compatible with those horseshoe bindings. <clears throat> Not at first. Not the first one. At first I just had the Burton Preston. bindings. Oh, did with you stickers did, on the You didn't rock the Preston no. bindings that mm, were the Those are awful. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> Everybody do them. wanted them where we were. We sold out of them. They yeah, were, they were I mean huge. they were they seemed to to be popular but they were not good. No, um no they weren't. Like most equipment back then it yeah, wasn't good. Yeah. But yeah, the boards are made of Palais, I think, and the they're heavy and yep. um you know, we talked about these narrow boards before in the big feet. Like I got to go to a midwide. So all my boards were, um, 258 in the waist yeah. was the weight was the width I always did. And, um, you know, that worked for the boots I was squeezing into. Yeah. Um, and then we played with, you know, different shapes and we tried Flat the kinks, kinks. and, yeah. you know, these things yeah. were, were kind of fun. And we, we talked ourselves into why it was smart to have these things but in the end we just thought it resembled skateboarding was cool yeah i mean those those boards were hands down the coolest boards of that year i don't know what they were going directly up against at burton is that like the sword board and the brushy trout or maybe were you there for that no i'd already i'd already left i think by the time the trout came out yeah so your first board am i getting it right with the it was the so, big one was red. So the big one was red, and then and I never rode that one either. Um, was because was I was it? just riding sixty nine or something. It or was, was a one seventy four. It was huge. Big. Someone yeah. sent me one recently. So really? I actually have one now. That's it's got a so Baker sick. sticker on it. Oh, nice. And then um, the um, the Ford Pipe. It was called. And yeah. So it was a fifty eight. Yeah, and that one was gold. It was gold, yeah. So the original was like a green top sheet with like this weird graphic of an oil spill, and it just it was so poorly I don't know that done. I never saw that. It never happened because I spray painted it gold, right? And then um, we, you know, we went to Jamie's house uh, on our way to Japan, and Tim's like, "Show Jamie your board," and I unzipped it and I pulled out this thing, and it was actually brass was the color. Yeah, and. He uh, he's like, what's that? And he's like, would you do the top sheet? I'm like, we spray painted. We hate the graphics. Hate them. And um, we're just gonna. He's like, well, it's too late to change. You know, this thing is happening. I said, like, well, do whatever you're gonna do. We're just gonna spray paint. You know, can't spray paint's cheap. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he's like, really? And, uh, and then, you know, Jamie looked at Tim and goes, change them all. Wow. And we changed them all that day. I mean, that was, they stopped whatever they were doing and they redid it. And we all did like the, the single color top sheets. Um, and that was the, the rollout of the, basically the second round of boards. Cause the first one was that spark plug. Spark and plug or, so imagine it's just an iteration yeah, of that yeah, awfulness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we got something that was a little more subdued. So I started at boardroom in 93, September 93. So there was a couple of those ride spark plug boards left over mm-hmm. and having something left over in those days, man, it was bad, like very bad. Like, because things just sold out. Like, they never made it to Christmas. Yeah. And so, if Ride would have kept going in that direction. It was a pretty big mess. Well, did you hear Jamie talking about, like, he he was thinking of multi-sport for Ride, too, right? Like, Ride scooters and Ride skateboards and Ride bikes and all that stuff. Like, that did not come across in the Jason Ford era Ride. It was like, this is core but also chasing Burton as far as like, you know, the availability of product shipping on time. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, like a lot of companies were, were like a couple guys in the garage <laughs> and Rye was not that at all. And Rye appeared to be not that, but it was a lot of that, <laughs> you know, I think you have to hand it to Tim and, and even Jamie for listening to Tim. Yeah. Cause he had the, he had the ability to not listen to Tim. Uh, yeah, absolutely. At any moment he wanted to. And so, you know, Tim um, always, and I don't know if this was sort of coming through the Burton culture because the team had a lot of voice at Burton yeah. and it was encouraged. It was actually in your contract that you were supposed to communicate on a regular basis about product, about what you're doing. And it was up to the riders to do that. And so, you know, that was how I was taught. Yeah. Um, it's how, Tim was part of that process when he was team manager over there. And so, you know, the, um, it seemed to make its way to ride and, you know, had they gone the other way, it would have been a different story, you know, who knows where it would have ended up and how the whole thing would have shaped. I probably wouldn't have stayed yeah. for the two and a half years I did, but like, right. It was, it was cool. What we, you know, I think we, that first year was, you know, I wasn't even riding a ride board. I was riding a different board. Um, that had a ride spray paint stencil on it. Right. And then Russell and Jake were riding, you know, the, the first versions of the boards that came out. Yeah. And then we quickly went to, you know, the Ford pipe and the longboard. And then we got to like and the, the, RJ, real, the, the real ride. Yeah, those, those were really good. Yeah. Like that just, <clears throat> the line was, was small, but it was powerful. Like there was no. There wasn't. Yeah. I remember. I think the brochure was just like a single. Yeah. Sheet. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it felt like a big company. So were you there until it was, till, until it went public? Of course. Yeah. After. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was there two and a half years was how long they, the contract was. And I just chose not to renew. I've, I've talked about that story probably a thousand times since you told it to me, like that you called a broker from the yellow pages or something. You just like called the broker and then that guy sent you a cell phone and was like, buddy, you're going to want this. Is that kind of how it went? I might've not been listening more or less. Well. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I still have the same cell phone that, you know, James, <laughs> the, my stockbroker at the time he sent me. Yeah. And, uh, how old were you You're in early twenties? I think we went public in 94. Mm-hmm. So I was 24. 
Oh, wow. Wow. Just such a crazy story. Oh, yeah, and that the check bounced or that you had to get. Yeah, so, yeah, so the way that went down was, yeah, it's so funny because we did this once, right? Yeah, yeah, um, but, I just love it. I think but the listeners the, Yeah, so my it, first, yeah. Um, you know, part of my agreement was that I could invest up to 5% of the company at the at the, the raise price. So um, I wrote a check for 10 grand. I got 1% of the company and my check bounced because it's every dollar I add to my name. Yeah, yeah. And Tim called me. He's like, Jason, your check bounced. I was like, try it again. It will clear. I promise it'll clear. Yeah. And, you know, it cleared. And it was every dollar I had to my name I yeah. put in. Um, and then, you know, away it goes. You know, the, the company, you know, they, the company went public. And, um, you know, I didn't know anything about that. I'd never owned a stock. I'd never learned about companies being traded publicly or what that man I I you know, I got a little bit of a lesson then. Yeah. You know, at some point we thought we were all traders, you know, because <laughs> you wake up and rides on the ticker and you're kind of, you know, talking to your broker and you're moving shares and now you're IPO stuff and you're, you're part of this, you know, dot com bubble. Yeah. So everything's easy. Everyone's making money. You just have to play. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and then it goes the other way for a while and you get that taste. So yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty cool lesson as a 24, 25, 26 year old. Yeah, like gambling on such a major level. Yeah, like even to this day, if I go and make a hundred dollar bet in Vegas, I'm nervous. Yes, you know, and right. hundred bucks, you can't even enter the building on Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, nah, no, nah, yeah. you need more than that, but yeah, exactly. Oh, that's nuts. But yeah, we wake up and stocks up a few bucks, and you're like, how many shares do I have? And you do the math, and you're like, dang, that's pretty good. Did you trade it for a house at some point or anything like that? Or did you watch it go up and then watch it coming down? No, I bought a house in, um, in Solana beach. You know, I, there was a, we were all hanging out at Pacific drive, this, um, this skate and surf shop. Um, and we got to know, it was a really cool scene back then. Uh, this place is in Pacific beach. And I, um, there was a guy Chico that, that was in there all the time and he was an accountant and he worked with a bunch of the surfers and stuff and rad. And so I, I asked him to go to lunch and we sat there and I told him what was going on. I said, Hey, here's what my financial situation is. And he said, you, you should probably buy a house. And you know, I left and two months later I see him again. He's like, what have you been doing? I was like, I bought a house. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, you're kidding. <laughs> and so I bought a house in Solana beach and, rad. um, and started to do that and, you know, kind of, kind of went forward. Um, you know, and the stock luckily went in the right direction and, you know, I didn't, it's not like I, I nailed the peak getting out of it, but right, right, right. You know, I did pretty good. Oh, that's cool. And so at this point, okay. So you do two and a half years on ride. I would have thought it was longer than that, but yeah, it's just those first, those first couple of years, there were three pro models of yours, right? There was three and the fourth was designed. Yeah. Um, it just never came to light. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a short one. You know, we, we had this, this incredible, um, movement, you know, in the, in the sport was going, you know, I went from Burton, which was a team of individuals to ride, which was a, which was a very close team. Yeah. And we, we, we traveled as a team. We had each other's back as a team and we, um, everywhere we went, we were a unit. Cool. And that was very rare. It didn't exist. Yeah. And so 
um, it didn't matter what we showed up to, we, we would draw a crowd and that was fun. Yeah. And so, um, that dynamic was like some of my most fond memories in snowboarding. Of course. And then when Rod went public and then things started to change, you know, it's like, there's a lot of, some people made a lot of money, things got weird. Um, and the dynamic went from a we to an I, mm. Mm. and I just sort of lost, it's like the dream went away a little bit for me and I, I needed to mix it up, Yeah, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, people are vying for your job and it's all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go a different direction. Yeah. Were you like the team captain to, you know, go with the, Jimmy I didn't have a Salter C on thing. my Jersey, but there was definitely, um, oh, I had to rent the cars and I had to pay for everything. And, you know, Ride's got this 30 year film coming out right now. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. we were at the premiere and I see Dale and this is like a few days after his 50th birthday. Yeah. And I'm like, you're 50. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm 52. All these years, you guys are acting like I'm your fucking dad. I'm two years older You're than you. You're the same I'm age I'm two years now. older yeah, than yeah, you. Yeah, 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 two. Yeah. He's like, well, you seem so much more mature. <laughs> I was like, everywhere I went, it was, I had to deal with it, you know? Unreal. I, yeah, yeah. Like, two years. <laughs> so funny. But yeah, so it was a little bit of that. Um, Where are some memorable ride trips? Because I've heard this from even, like, uh, I talked to Chris Swears. And he he was on Liquid, yeah. And even the Liquid guys were there. It was like everybody. It was oh, like and the fifty one fifty guys were there. Guys. And yeah. you know, we're traveling through Japan, and it's like Liquid and fifty one fifty and Ride. So it's all the crew, you know, from Ranquit to everybody. That's incredible. Um, and we're just raising hell. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're you're. Um, we did this one trip where in Japan, you know, they told us it was a three or four hour bus ride. We got on the bus, the first thing you do, everyone's getting beers and they're having drinks and there's a karaoke machine and it's all in Japanese and we're making up words and it's a lot of fun and this is a four hour trip and we're going to do it and four or five hours goes by and we say, hey, what's up? Are we there yet? And they say, oh, it's four hours more. I'm like, what? This ends up being like a 12 hour drive and I don't know why, but it takes that long to go from start to finish. So when you begin a four hour journey you're prepping your, like, that's yeah. your timeline, right? Yeah. Timeline gets extended. So now people are like hungover, <laughs> on the, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. we get to this place and it's this little, it was a golf course in the summer. There's a lift and it's not a lot of gain and elevation, but there's a lot of snow. And we started, um, we managed to hijack all these miniature snowmobiles. Mini snowmobiles. They're like little eighties or hundreds or something. Okay. They're, they're, re- they're small. Everything about them is like shrunk. Cool. <clears throat> and so Jake and I are walking around, um, just looking for something to do at this hotel because we're kind of bored inside. And we find a real snowmobile and, and we open it up. We're, we're gonna hotwire this thing. <laughs> we we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> like you, I don't think you can hotwire a snowmobile because we didn't. And so yeah. that was stupid. <clears throat> so we keep walking around the other side, and then there's there's got to be twenty of these things. They're all lined up and they're all numbered. And we find this door that opens up into this big room. And there's like some bar- barriers or whatever in a desk and Jake's like shaking the drawers and he finds when he's shaking the door, it's locked, but he can hear keys in there and he reaches in behind. He's fishing out with his fingertips like keys and you look at it and you're like 12. 
No. And go out there and you stick the key in there and 12 snowmobiles fires up. No. <clears throat> and away we go. And so Jake and I basically burn a tank of gas on each of these things. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's like, there's so much snow that you could porpoise. You could go completely under the snow. Headlight is gone, dark, <laughs> and then <laughs> come back out. And we're, we, we had so much fun. And so we, we go a whole session. Yeah. And run out of gas and leave them. <laughs> wherever they are yeah and then we get we walk back to the hotel and we get more Fishing and now we're telling more. people and we're right. pulling out so now we got like, like you guys. distributors yeah. are coming out and they're they've got no gloves and no like you know they're borderline getting frostbit you know oh ranklet ran over our reuben our photographer took him out for the trip <laughs> you know and so we you know in the morning you wake up and this whole hillside is just covered with snowmobiles that are like stuck or out of gas oh my god and they know it's us but they won't they won't accuse us and they won't do anything. And we just kind of like, I don't know, it's weird. And then the next night again, you know, do it again. Oh, we, had, wow. we had a lot of fun. So we, we had a lot of trips like that where we just kind of. Yeah. That's a mission right there. That's crazy. Jake. Yeah. Jake seemed like I haven't talked to him yet, but he seemed like he was an introvert. Like yeah. of the, of the team, there are a lot of extroverts. Russell is a, extrovert russell and dale together yeah is a comedy show well dale's not a huge extrovert oh yeah he's 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 extroverted but the two of them they just they really feed off each other and it's it's hilarious yeah it's so fun and then jake is yeah he's very much um an introvert um he's super smart guy he's a powerhouse rider yeah um yeah yeah he was my roommate for years but he um he's just low key but then he does weird stuff <clears throat> he'll go like you know he, he'll he weird stratton at this house and he finds this like duck call yeah turkey call sure you know in the closet and he's he'll like run high behind a bush like a, a plant and just do this like do the turkey calls <laughs> you know and then he's got like an owl call and he's like hiding behind like he climbs under the behind the sofa and he's and you're just like what is he doing? It's going on? for like an hour, you know. Oh, it's just nice. weird, yeah, <laughs> but that's funny. Awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. <clears throat> and so he's just always like hanging out, you know. He's like he was always there, you know. Like, oh hey, yeah, how long <laughs> you been here? You know, I've been here the whole time. Oh, okay. He's got a room at Russell's house still now. I think does he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I didn't realize how tight knit of a family it was until talking with Chris, and I'm going, oh, that's. Yeah, that's unique in snowboarding for sure. Like that one of the major teams is, you, you know, traveling around, doing photo shoots together, doing contests together. Living you know. together in summers. Yeah, yeah. You know, we all lived in Southern California. Yeah, we in Southern Cal. lived in the same houses and stuff, and <clears throat> you're just constantly together. And at that time, around that same time, Ride is in the news. Like, we're talking world news. Like, yeah. Because it's the very first... Snowboard company go public. I I don't think that people can understand how big of an impact that had on well, the community. Do you remember Ken Park, the skater? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Ken was like, he moved to New York and um, he was working in you know the Wall Street world, and he's like, it's crazy. People, every boardroom I go into, they're talking about snowboarding. That's like nuts. all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so the 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 timing and the you know the road shows that were going on. Um, cause Jamie and Tim are out talking and the crew are out there talking it up and, and people were eating it up and, you know, it, the stock went 
bananas. It was crazy. You know, Tim was entrepreneur of the year or something crazy, you know, like yeah. on the covers of magazines. And, um, it's a, it's a wild success story. It'd be really interesting to see if it could ever be repeated in the sport. I don't think it can be repeated in any sport. Like, I think, I don't know. It's so hard to tell. Like snowboarding, like when you think about that, it was in the Olympics in 98, like that kind of came out of left field. Like it didn't feel like when you're competing in 93, 94, it's not like you're thinking, okay, four more years we'll be in the Olympics. It, I don't know about you, but like for me, it was like, we well, probably will never get in the Olympics because there's too much crazy shit going on. See, I, I was on the Pro Riders Association when I was on Burton. Yeah. And so it was like a group of riders, all these different teams, and some of the crew like the guys who were doing contest organizing and stuff like that and the governing bodies. And yeah. we were looking at like, how do you take the sport f- forward? And we're having those discussions. And, you know, one of the things are, I, I think, it, I don't know who it was, I want to say it was Ted Martin, but maybe it was, maybe it wasn't him was said that, you know, monster trucks and wrestling are some of the top things on television. So we have to be more like them. And I remember going, what <laughs> are you talking about? Wow. Like we are nothing like them and we'll never be like them. And, you know, we're going to be, we're going to do what we do and let's keep it real. We're not ready Yeah, yes. for the big stage. Right. Our equipment falls apart at the start of a competition, like yeah. disintegrates, yeah. you know, we carry wickets yeah. in our pockets to put it back together so we can compete in the world championships. Right. We're not ready. The pipes are hand dug by the competitors. There's nothing about the sport that's ready for that stage. Right. When we're ready, they're going to come. And so I always, I always knew that, it was going to become bigger. Yeah. It was my bet. Um, I was not involved. You know, I kind of dropped out of the contest scene. So I didn't, I was no longer involved in how, or, you know, all those pieces came together. But, but I'll tell you when Salt Lake happened and I sat in the stands and I watched the level of competition, the quality of the pipe, the day was beautiful. The crowd was nuts. I was like, it's here and it's, it was ready. Yes. Like it delivered. Absolutely. And it was cool. Like those guys, every one of them and everything from, you know, the grenade crew stenciling and spray paint on the back of the guys carrying the cameras and, um, the Finnish kid, you know, with the Mohawk, I forgot his name. Like he, he he wrote so good. Like, yeah. Ross wrote incredible. Everyone, JJ, everyone wrote really great. It was so fun to see that energy. And then, you know, being on American soil and having an American sweep just added to the storyline. Totally. Um, and I mean, I, I remember I drove out <clears throat> from Tahoe. I watched the, the thing and I turned around and drove back. And I was like, <laughs> that was insane. I can't even believe I was able to witness that in person. Yeah. When you think about it, it was 10 years earlier is, you know, Craig taking that world championship you're talking about. Uh, maybe 11 years, but like. It just, like you said, it wasn't ready. It wasn't it, even close. It, it, it's, it's bizarre. <clears throat> and you see the old videos. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's hilarious. You yeah. Know, you're like, what are we doing? You know? I mean, it's so <laughs> funny. You've got to get a wide angle and get low because, yeah. you know, you're barely off the ground. Well, because the you had to have a highway and then there was no landing. Like it was, and, and it would ice over. Mm-hmm. You know, the number of people that have told me that at one of those contests, they got knocked out, you know, they they wake up and Tom's yelling like, don't move him. <laughs> His neck might be broken. Like, it's like, it was chaos. 
Total, yeah. And it was so fun. Yeah. I was chasing it at that time and feeling like a connection with you guys. Like, you guys are a year or two ahead. You know, we would look at you and that's what we would be doing. Tuckneys, my buddy Chris and I practiced Tuckneys for months, you know, so that we can get, get, grab the board right, get, look at the pictures, his hand over his knee, which one? This way? Okay, cool. Or Japan's, you know, like how brushy would tweak stuff. I, I could mean, never do the Japan's well. Nobody could do My them knees like didn't do that. Yeah. Noah could do them well. And yeah, Rushy that's true. could do them well. There's yeah. a few. Yeah. Adam Merriman did them really well. There's some, yeah. some guys that just really could like slap that front knee down. But from, for some reason, mine didn't go. The back <laughs> knee would put a hole in the board. Yeah. Remember the two, the, yeah, the two tongue boots and just yeah. tweaking and tweaking. It, like the bindings were, if you heard like a sales pitch on the bindings, they're like, these ones are made to tweak, like so that you could, when you lean back on them, you can carve, but when you lean sideways, it's just floppy. Yeah. Yeah, man. They come off the board about, you know, three centimeters. <laughs> yeah. <absolutely. laughs> and then they break yeah. every time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mine broke would take a about a day to break, and then I could ride them for about, you know, three weeks, and then I have to get a new pair. Yeah, so how did that work? Would they give you four or five pairs at a time? Or? With Burton, yeah, you just, you know, whatever you needed. Um, you know, but you're on the road constantly, so you're, you know, you can only carry so much stuff. Was there a downside to that? Like, did you get burned out on it at any point or was it just- On the travel? Yeah. No. When you're that age, you're totally, you know, I think one year I was still living at my, my mom's house in Vermont and I think I spent nine days at home that year and there were never more than three days in a row. And so you would just ship bags of stuff home. Yeah. You know, go to UPS and drop a full bag of dirty stuff and just <laughs> send it home and then you get new stuff, you know, enough. Yeah. And it wasn't obscene. You know, some of the guys would really, you know, I heard stories, you know, what Duck would do and he would load up on gear and just order everything. I, I actually never ordered anything. It just came. Wow. You know, and I just didn't, I don't know. I just didn't abuse it. You I know? hear you. And I also wasn't... um you know, I wasn't also wasn't leaving equipment anywhere either. You know, I was kind of riding it and then I was, you know, I'd sell it. But, yeah. You know, I'd sell it cheap. Yeah. But I'd sell it to friends and be like, yeah, hey, here's a board for a hundred bucks or something like that. The hundred dollar boards were like, yeah, that was the best. But some of them were written pretty hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I bought a Rado lamb from, from him for a hundred bucks. T-bolts. It broke in like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you know, it's the... That was the game, you know, you, you, you know, we didn't have any money really. So you had to sell your equipment to keep the dream alive. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't keep a single board. Wow. Um, until ride. And I kept some of them, you know, there's a few that I hung on to that were, you know, ones that I actually wrote and, you know, are iconic to me, I think, but yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't have, I didn't have a single, like a couple of the Burtons and they were the boards no one's wanted. You know, it's like, oh, there's an M6 race board. Race board. And yeah. A, yeah. You know, the KF1 that never hit, you know. I love it. That traveled. I probably carried it around the world and I never actually put a binding on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah. So who headhunts you from ride or did you, were you putting the feelers out there? Yeah. Did so, you know it was over? Like, were you like, eh. <clears throat> yeah, what happens for the, for the end of ride? It just the dynamic changed. The um that that team 
I, we have each other's back thing that I really loved right away. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just losing it, you know, and I was like, all right, so I want to do something different. Um, and a lot of people that were running around taking credit for the whole thing. And my approach was always like, no, it's us. This was right. always a we thing in my mind. Right. Um, there were things that I did that were, I felt were good for the company, but I still viewed it as a we thing. And so, you know, it came time to my contract came up and I had this proposal and then the, they sort of countered exactly how I expected them to counter, which was kind of, for me, was like, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. Really? It was like a bummer. Like you kind of knew. Yeah. That I said, this is like that. I knew like, that's the direction I think I expected you to go and there was no deal. Oh, wow. And I got on the plane. I flew back to San Diego and I'm like, yeah, I'm out. What was like, your, what was your proposal? Was it like, yeah, I mean, it, it was basically, I wanted to do, Craig had come out with a super bottle line. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to do my own line. Um, my, my pro models are selling really well. I'm selling five or 6,000 of these things a year. That's insane. And so let's do a line, see if we can't do 10 or 12 Yeah. and then do, and not do it so much as a branded line, like right. Jason Ford line, but I'm like, I'm going to do royalty in the whole thing. We'll push this whole thing as a series, Yeah. but I need the full size run. Yes. Um, and I wanted my royalty, you know, just like eight bucks a board and my retainer was small. It was yeah. Like four grand a month or something, some travel. It wasn't a lot for yeah. the time. And then they're like, they count and they just cut my commission, my, my royalty in half. To four. Right. And I'm like, nah. Yeah. And you know, the, the guys that I expected to be in the room that day weren't in the room. They sent others. Uh. And so that pissed me off. So I, I took, um, you know, they, they countered with that, which is very much Jamie coaching, right? It's how Jamie operates, which, you know, it's kind of this, it's predictable and awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. In some ways. And it seems kind of like lame you, in others, right? Yeah, so you're looking yeah, at, yeah. And so I grabbed this, there was a la there was a little pocket calculator on the table and I picked it up and I just started banging numbers and I wasn't hitting anything. I was just hitting numbers randomly. Yeah. yeah. And then I looked at the guy and I said, uh, I want to do this differently. I want 14 grand a month. Nice. And he just froze. And uh, I said, well, let me know what you want to do. And I got up and I walked out. Wow. And I went to the airport. Wow. And that was that. Airport to go home? I, went, I to flew to San yeah. Diego. Yeah. yeah. And I called Trent Smith over at Silence and I said, I need some blank boards. How fast can you make them? Yeah. I'm going to New Zealand and you know, Australia, I'm yeah. going to be gone for a month. I leave in X amount of days. He's like, I could have them, you know, in two weeks. I said, great, make me two. Yeah. And so he made these blank boards for me. Wow. And then I, I flew down there. And then the day my contract expired, I sold my boards, my ride boards, and I started riding the blanks. Yeah. And, and that was that. <laughs> and had you f fished around for new stuff? Yeah. So basically I called um, Brad Stewart who um, I was going to start a snowboard company with before ride. Yeah. And I said, Hey, Brad, um, I'm gonna, I'm leaving Seattle right now. I'm flying home. I'm going to leave ride. want to start that snowboard company. Cool. Oh, and by the way, I can take as many team riders with me as, as I want. <laughs> and he goes, uh, interesting. I'm about to fly to meet Solomon about launching solomon and bonfire snowboards right and i said well i'm in cool and uh and then you know 
basically I flew to New Zealand with that deal already done. I started talking to riders and trying to build the team out from there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, who did Solomon hit the ground running with as a team? It wasn't the people I lined up, (laughs) not all of them, but we had some good ones. Yeah. Um, but you know, in the U S it was me, it was Jake Blattner came over, Michelle Taggart, um, J2, Tucker Franzen. Oh, wow. So that was the team. That's um, great. So it was a mixture of bonfire, some bonfire guys. Yep. Yep. Um, and then what we, what we added. And then we, you know, I'm probably getting timelines mixed up, but we had like, sure. we had Trevor Andrew for a while. We had Daniel Frank, we had Michael yep. Chuck. We had, oh, yeah. Um, you know, of course, like, you know, the European guys like Benedict and Steve Groover and Vole and, Annie and you know yeah pitchy and like so we had a pretty fun group it was a very international group cool and it was a a totally different journey completely like the most opposite journey of ride imaginable (laughs) like everybody is their own brand like out on their own doing their own well thing. there's a bit of team like the team thing was very much alive with okay. twos cool. and tucker yeah you know yeah, with yeah, with yeah. uh with todd franz and excuse me todd, todd franz and, and yeah. um and blattner and i like the four of us traveled together quite rad. a bit rad and michelle was there of course you know she was in the mix and then um but then the europeans you know like trevor signed a deal didn't want to be there and he bailed um Daniel signed a contract and never showed up for anything to the point where they actually wouldn't pay him unless he arrived at the things. Like you have to physically come to the U.S. Open <laughs> what was going to get your retain, to get your check. Yeah, yeah. Instead of just getting a monthly, it was like, no, it's weighted around the events. You have to arrive. Because he was, st- he had stopped he showing up. He was the slippery hot dog and he just never, <laughs> you know, oh yeah, this thing or the weather, he'd make up stories, right? And so sure, it was sure. hilarious and predictable. Um, amazing. And then you've got like Benedict who was so talented. Consummate professional. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and what he was doing, the robot food stuff and on. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, so it was a different mix, but I think that the, the part that was really different wasn't so much the team thing. It was more the company. Oh yeah. And the, you know, it was like at ride, we could make decisions and change things. And at Solomon, it was very different with the French culture, with the large, um, ski ownership. Yeah. Were um, they, were they that vibe that you get at like a European heli lodge, like where it's like snowboarders are still kind of the new guys, the, you know, I, I still get it from. Yeah. Not so much. It wasn't like, that. I mean, the, the, well, first of all, like if you go to the factories, yeah, the quality and the, like the attention, the detail, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. It's spotless. It's recycle a hundred percent of everything in ninety six. Wow! Insane amount of robotics. Right. You know, I'm watching ski bindings be assembled, and there's no human interaction at all. <laughs> wow! The things are just coming together. There's robotic fork look at forklifts. The whole thing is being done through robotics. It's incredible. How um, old of a brand is Solomon? Like hundred years plus. Yeah, and they were dominating skiing when I came into. It. I don't know anything about. Yeah, skiing. Yeah, they started out like they, manufacturing saw blades and yeah. things like that. Oh so wow! It's a very. It was a very when when I was there, a very old family business. Yeah, and so their 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 model wasn't about 
like we're going to come in and dominate, which was my mom. I was like, we're yeah. going to come in and fuck shit up. We're going <laughs> to yeah. own everything. Awesome. You know, I'm talking yeah. to Terrier. I'm talking to Todd Richards. I'm talking to like all these guys yeah. about like, what if, what if we all come together here and really hit it yeah. with good quality stuff yeah. and the money to, to go do it. What Solomon didn't want to do is they didn't want to come in like the big ski company. I was like, everyone's afraid of you. Right. Why are you sneaking in the room? Right. Just show up. Like, we'll kill it. Yeah. We'll absolutely crush because they expect us to crush. You come in, they're going to be like, oh, that guy's not so tough. Right. And right. so they were, so that we disagreed on that. Um, the product lines required so much testing and varied feedback, global feedback to yeah. the point where I was doing tests constantly testing 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 in product meetings working with developers and then uh i finally got to the point where i'm like i could see my ideas were getting like really watered down like a lot mm, mm. and um i'm going so how are you like how do you how do you score my vote like if i fill out a a, a, a review of a piece of product and then you do the same with um you know somebody a beginner from Finland and an intermediate person from Japan and somebody else. Like, how do you put them all together? And they said, it's all scored equally. Oof. And I said, well, that's good to know. Uh, remove me from the experiment. <laughs> 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 like, yeah. what do you mean? And I'm like, if you're going to take my feedback and, you know, put that on par with somebody who doesn't have the experience, then leave me out. Cause yeah. I don't want to be a part of it. Like, wow. I can tell how this equipment works in two to three turns. Like I know what's going on and I know what we're looking for. Yeah. And maybe they do. I'm guessing they don't. They we're on different levels. So, you know, so that dynamic changed a little bit. It just took a long time to get equipment where it was like, yeah, you know, and then we, we finally developed like the fastback was my pro model. Yeah. And, you know, my name was only on it for a year and then it just became the fastback series. But that one did really well and I love the way it rode and yeah, I did um, a demo on them at Whistler and it was difficult to get a read on what's happening here. Like I'm not like there was that feeling of like, okay, you guys are a couple of years late. I mean, Brozzy was in shops in 91 or 92. So they kind of got a pass and then K2 was even before that. Right. Like, so I thought the messaging here was that you guys were going to just be skiing and you didn't really care for snowboarding. We needed like an apology or something is what it felt like from my side. It was like, okay. But there was also that feeling, like you said, like we were afraid these guys coming in could potentially just like shake everything up. So do we want to have this on lock? Or do we want to see it go up the street to, you know, like what's the distribution going to be like? Are you, are your Solomon ski dealers going to get first grab at this thing? And if it's really good, are we going to be fucked? Like that really was a feeling. And then when I rode the boards, I was like, I felt like they rode amazing, but I also felt like so did Rozzy. And so did, you know, Mervin in their own way. Like it wasn't so far and above that it was like, oh my God, yeah, drop everything. I have to have this. And then the graphics were kind of 
They didn't really go. Well, that was a piece that was really tough to swallow. Yeah. So very different than the Jamie. Right. We make an adjustment yes. you know, in a living room on the fly. It was yeah. like, hey, we've got a graphic story that looks pretty good. And then all of a sudden we see it arrive. And we're like, where did these come from? Right. We've never seen these graphics before. And like, oh, it was a, ma- you know, a change was made at, you know, HQ. Yep. And it was basically, you know, some someone higher up wanted to get their fingerprints on it. And that's the fingerprints they put. Interesting. Don't like those fingerprints so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, so too, it, was hard. it was too clean, but it wasn't clean in the right way. I remember looking at them going, are these the production Well, boards? the color wheel was like a safe way to do it. Yeah. Um, that was the start. You know, start with the silver ones. Yeah. And then the color wheel. Yeah. And then it started, I don't even know what it did what, with the graphics, but it was, it was, it was not, it's also a time when graphics were kind of blah overall. There wasn't a lot Absolutely. of Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it, we just, I feel like we left a lot on the table. Like with Ride, I don't feel like we left much on the table no. because the equipment was terrible. Like sure. It, it, it was so heavy and not sure. good. But we made it work, but we created this scene, this image, and this culture that was It dope. had the Rider story. That mm-hmm. was the thing. It was so easy. And Solomon, like, they had like a million yeah. patents. They would create patents like every week in their sleep, you know, that were improving the sport. Right. The patents that became standardized, like one tool. Right. How about if we use one tool to work on your bindings? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. That didn't exist before. You know, people are using all these odd tools and like, and you're cutting your hands and you know what I mean? It was like insane. To, just yeah. to set up, not even yeah. customized, just to get it to function. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's just going to work with a normal screwdriver and everything's good to go. One screwdriver. Um, yeah. That's really smart. You know, the screws that didn't fall out of your base plates. They put the little plastic things on, you know, that's just a- Incredible. That's us changing bindings on the glacier so many times over and over. And someone's like, what if we- yeah. Have the screws not fall off. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> you know? Really? Obvious. Yeah. And yeah. They, and they had the patent for years, you know? And so um, there was a lot of those contributions, even talking to some of the product managers at Burton. They were like, no, that was that's good. That pushed. Yeah. Pushed Burton, pushed everybody to, to think differently. Yeah. But there was some stuff we left on the table. You know, there's a lot of talented riders there and, you know, the watered down so and they're they're not a marketing company. That's not the way they operate. They're a different brand. Yeah, you saying it now, like because Emmanuel and I had a very quick talk about it. Because I was like, he struggled with it. Yeah, well, he he was like, the boards are the best in the world. He's like, listen, this stuff was hands down better than anything else you could ride. And I was like, I don't know, those Rossi boards were just so good for so long. Like once they hit their pace. Yeah. They just like when you would go to a demo and you would try out a rosino board that's like torsion wrapped foam, but the foam is different densities in different parts. The a, a rosy board out of the bag was like one of the most fun things ever to ride until your friends saw you riding it and they're like, "What is? Does that have a corn cob on the top of it? Is that an entire board that is a corn cob? Are you serious?" You're but like, they oh, rode well. yeah. Somehow I overlooked yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he seemed to be comparing them to like, yeah. I don't even want to throw anybody under the bus, but like there were a few board companies that. Their boards were hard to ride. They just didn't have engineering. Well, then I heard, you know, I who did I hear? I heard Benedict say, well, I was like, he thought the boards were hard. He's like, these boards are built for, uh, for landing. You know, he's like, mm. and and I I was like, for me with the boards, I was I like to put, you know, you put a hundred percent in, I want more than a hundred back. Sure. And um, 
you know, some boards just suck it all out. You know, you like get 20% back and you're like, are we <laughs> doing this right, right now? Is this any fun? Right. Are there even bindings attached to this thing? Cause there's right. so little return. And then, you know, so I was, I was like, how much can we get? Yeah. I was, that was the chase I was after. I was like, how much return can we get? Because when you're riding hard snow and it's just firm, you know, it's like, that's when you, when you're riding pow, you different dynamics, you're getting, you know, a totally different response. So I was on that different pursuit, but you know, David, his comment, I'm like, why were they hard to ride? <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, you, you get cars that are difficult to drive, sure. surfboards that are hard to ride. Like, you yeah. get, I'm like, were they? Cause I never felt that. No, I thought, I mean, I, I, the ones that I tried were, they were ultra smooth. Like I understood, like if you were going for somebody who wants a high performance board, that's that is really is going to go top to bottom groomers at Whistler. You, the the boards were perfect. So right. they started with a 52. Yeah. That was right. the first size. Right. So imagine I'm like, that's what I rode for an entire season. I'm going up to the Yukon on a trip with Craig and Tex on a 52 and they're getting out of the helis and Texas riding some monster <laughs> 75 right whatever he's something. on is yeah. large and yeah. Craig's not that much far behind he's in a 60 something 69 he had a 69 and I'm like I'm taking this thing and just putting it under my like <laughs> thing like leaning down <laughs> you know and so maybe I went over the bars a couple times yeah I guess so um, on a 52 of course you know and so it was and then it's like oh we're going to do a 56 next i'm like when you know, I didn't get a 56 until I think summer. Wow. Okay, well, man. that's a whole year on a 52, on a silver 52 with no nose and tail kick. Yeah, that's bizarre. And it's just, yeah. And so that was, that was some of the struggles. You know, yeah. you're kind of like you're dealing with this, these different philosophies. And there's, there's a lot of stuff that they gave, I think, that they contributed to the sport that was healthy and good. And then there's, you know, the challenges that we dealt with too. Yeah. Yeah. That trip with Craig and Tex, how many trips post Burton? Do you get to hang out with Craig? And what was it like? Was it, you know? It was after Ride. Yeah. I didn't do any with Ride. I think there was a, there was some bitterness because I quit Burton in the middle of a contract. And yeah. so, you know, that's like a, I don't know if anybody had done that um, to that point. And Not let, at that level. Yeah. Absolutely. They let me out of the deal, which was, you know, nice of them. But the, um, I was definitely ignored and shunned. Mm. And you know, by your former teammates, like not just Craig, but like Brand. I think there was yeah. a lot of trash talking and stuff that was going down. And right. A lot of people never heard, like, didn't know the story. And I'm mm. like, oh, there's a lot to that story. Um, yeah. And so, um, when I started with Solomon, Craig called and started, and then we were also part of Island Lake Lodge because of you know, Ride got some money. We invested in Island Lake, so oh, Craig cool. was an owner. I was an owner. Jake Blattner was an owner. Mark Gallup and Scott Schmidt. And so, Holy and then there was shit. a bunch of money guys too that were in, but we were like yeah. the industry people. So we we're the smaller investors, but we, uh, we definitely took the most advantage of the train. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so then, you know, you're spending more time at the lodge with Craig and then he starts to call and invite me on trips and cool and vice versa. And I had always set trips up, you know, like going back to the Burton days, the, the first trip I told you I did with Rod Walker I, I figured it out. I was like, okay, so if I do a trip and I mix the crew and I bring people from other companies and I get media here, they're going to do a story. I'm basically like building a story before because team managers weren't doing that yet. Right. And so I did a trip to Colorado and it was, I, I invited Noah because I like to ride with Noah and I invited Craig. So Noah was on Morrow, it was Craig, Noah and I. 
and then we had John Foster and I had, Oh wow. You know, Lee Crane. And that was the, that was the crew. And we just traveled through Colorado and we shot different stuff and that cover of Craig and I, um, mm-hmm. and love them passes from that trip. So cool. And yeah, so it's like, I figured it out and then, you know, Craig figured it out also. And so we, we just, you know, we're like, how do you get coverage? Right. You know? And we're like, well, let's set things up. Let's, let's make it easy. Let's come up with an idea, pitch the idea, get some buy-in and get the right people there and hope that the snow is good. Yeah. You just had such a professional, Craig had that too, like just a professional outlook on what you were doing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I paid attention to him. He was my hero. So you mm. know, you, you're looking mm. at all that stuff and you're learning and, and then you're trying not to walk in his exact footsteps, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh, I, I, you know, as much as you would like to, mm-hmm. you're not letting yourself walk in the exact footstep. Right, right, right. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> it was a weird dynamic. Cause then you're around, you're kind of like, this guy's awesome. He's my hero. And you know, you're trying to, and then you're trying to be cool. Like, Oh no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm coming for you or whatever. You know, it's, it was kind of silly, but. So in the Solomon days, you guys do a couple of trips. How, how we did a bunch. We did one a year almost. Yeah, oh, that's so rap. We did we did quite a few. Yeah, yeah. Was he still doing stories for the magazines to fulfill some sort of contract obligations? At, he at never Burton? spoke about his contract. As much as I wanted him to give me anything that mm-hmm. I could learn on learn from, he would he would share nothing. He would listen. <laughs> that's for sure. He would listen, but there was no return reciprocation on that for as much good press as jake and donna got from supporting craig when he made that decision which is a hard decision i asked her that in her interview like was it like hooray craig's quitting competition and it was like a no they were not stoked but they listened to him yeah and said okay if he's saying that we can't just listen to him when he's saying stuff we like so well, from my experience, when I told Jake I was quitting competing mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. in racing, it was at the bottom of a Super G run at Buttermilk, and I crashed, chattered out on those floppy PJs. Yeah, blew my shoulder out, slid it. God knows how fast my shoulder dislocated. Wow. Stopped, put it back in, rode right down to Jake, and said, "That was it. That was the last time I put on hard boots." And he's like, "We need more American racers. We don't need more." American freestylers. I said, well, we can figure out what that looks like, but I'm not doing that anymore. Wow. And that was, you know, so they were, Jake was about results Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, you think about all the Olympic years with Sean and what, whoever else, right. McMorris. Yeah. He loves, he loved the competition and they love, he loved seeing Burton riders on the podium. That probably comes from the fact that in the, in the beginnings of competition, Tom just had it so wrapped up. Like those Tom years with the Kidwell round tail, mm-hmm. you know, and, and every single pro you can imagine on the team. Yep. Probably Jake was like, I want to, I want to win. I want my guys to win. I want to make equipment. And he's just insanely competitive. Yeah. Whether it's his sports teams that he cheers for mm-hmm. or he's mm-hmm. playing golf or yeah. he's playing whatever game he's playing. He's was very, very competitive. Yeah. So, um, so he said that Craig had to take a, a substantial pay cut like yeah i heard that really really big one yeah i'd heard that too so then i guess that's his side hustle is you know he's he's starting to think of other projects island lake well i think part of it too was you know i mean we 
yeah, the Island Lake stuff, nobody got rich on it, but we made some money. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and Craig got shares for free and we, you know, not just what he bought, but he also got shares for free. We didn't get any for free. We just, <laughs> we didn't think that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that he, I, I assume that he was, he was tired of doing the same thing. Yeah. And that's the part with snowboarding. It does get monotonous if you aren't reinventing yourself. And I got to reinvent myself, you know, I, I had three versions. I had three careers mm -hmm. in one career, you yeah. know, three versions of myself. And they were all completely different. Totally. You know, Burton, I have binders upstairs that have, you know, photos and whatever. And it's like, it's chronicled by my sponsors. There's like, there's the Burton life, there's the ride life, and there's the Solomon life. And they are, um, they are nothing alike. Right. Yeah. There's no through line between. There's no, there's no results in my Solomon life. Right. And there was X games and whatever things that I did, but I'm like, I didn't care. Right. Like there was no care. There was no result that would change my destiny as a snowboarder, whether I, whether I won, but if I got hurt and wrecked and broken, that would yeah. change it. But that's yeah. the only thing, you know? So I, I just, I would imagine that you stay with the same sponsor and you do it for that long you get, you're like, I need to, I have to mix this up. Yeah. Yeah. Stay sane, you know? And three years, you know, for me, three years was always a good marker. <laughs> yeah. <Three laughs> Is years. that what it was? Three years, three years, three years? Three, three, and then eight. Three, three, eight. Yeah. And at but Solomon, I was like, after eight years, I'm kind of like, I need to, and it was really Craig's passing that I just needed to, I'm like, I need to change. I can't just do this. Is that what is so that was 2003? It's, it's going to be 20 years. Isn't oh, that my crazy. God. This season. Yeah. Kelly Joe sent me a message the other day and she's like, come up. It's the 20 year. I want to do this small thing. And I'm like, I can't believe it's 20 years. 20. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. So were you, were you were, uh, like a full on pro rider? <clears throat> I was still so. Up until 2003, that. I was living in Jackson Hole. Yeah, it was the last year uh, of my of my third Solomon contract, and I was I had positioned a ten year deal. Yeah, um, there was discussions to transition and sort of evolve the role the role to get more in, into right. the company. Right, but so you be, hadn't already done that. Like, I, that I was still that. like. I'd pop in. Yeah. Hey, yeah. here's all my great ideas. And then I'd <laughs> see you later. You know, I but was, you'd avoided the like sitting yeah. at a desk and, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah. Oh, good for and you. So Krebs, you know, Krebs is like, Hey, we need you to be more, more like yeah. less of a judge and more of a like player. Yeah. 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 Uh, you need to be in the mix. And I was like, okay. You know, and I was like, well, I could, I started to play it out in my mind. I'm like, well, I could do this 10 year deal. It's kind of like their, you know, the, the, the term ambassador hadn't been coined, but like that. I got you. That, um, that's rad. And then fall into this thing where I had, you know, several trips and this routine. And then ingrain myself in the company and see where that took me. Yeah. And I, in my mind, I thought I knew how far I could go there. And then I was like, I feel like I'm just treading water. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't feel like there's there's um this evolution i need yeah yeah you know, as a person eight years of and then like, the correct yeah. thing i was mm -hmm. like it wasn't that like i was afraid of the snow 
right at all. That that didn't, never still doesn't occur to me very often. So that wasn't there. And then there was the um, I just felt like the sport was at a place too where it was lost, and I didn't want to be part of it uh, from that side of the business. Like, oh, we're going to build a thing and try to market products that fit into a culture that's lost. Right. Doesn't know what they want. Right. Um, and so that's when I, you know, decided to start the magazines and, you know, get into the magazine world with Foster. And so what was that? John Foster, you know, he was over at Transworld. He was, uh, editor in chief at the time and he wanted to do like a journal, like a, uh, a, a hard, you know, like the surface journal. Yeah. First now. And, uh, he came to Jackson Hall and, you know, we spent a couple of days and we talked about it and I was, I was really weighing it out. Um, yeah. should I do this? And this is prior to Craig. And then, um, and the Craig thing happened and I was like, okay, I think, I think that's what I want to do. Um, you know, I went out to the service and I was like, I, I think that's what, that's the type of thing I want. I want to try to celebrate a different part of snowboarding through print, which was the media at the time. And then, um, you know, away we went, we got into the print world to raise some money and, um, you know, told Solomon, I'm not going to do anything else. Like we're good. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, they went, ran out and picked up Dirksen immediately. Dirksen, <laughs> 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 I think just got my, my contract just moved to Josh, um, which is great. But, you know, I was like, all right, well that door is now no yeah, longer available yeah, yeah, for me. Yeah. Um, and then we, you know, we got into the magazine world and, you know, figured, figured that out. How did it go? It was hard. Um, you know, first of all, we went out there and we, we built a plan and we raised some money and we thought we raised enough and you quickly re- realized that you didn't raise enough. Mm. And so our model was, you know, we want to compensate people. Yeah. You know, if we're going to use your images, we're going to pay you. And we're going to use your words, we're going to pay you. It's so important. And we're not just going to, you know, beg, borrow and steal, which, you know, was probably part of our demise because you can't, it's really hard to survive and pay everybody because there's just, everyone's cheap. Everybody wants a pro They want a free magazine. They don't want to help support it. Even if it's a buck, a copy or whatever. Right. And so that, that is a difficult. Like we were talking off mic, like it's not really in selling the magazine that the money is like, if you're, if you're paying attention, it's like selling a car ad in there is you're kind of drawing this energy from uh, this money from out in the, big money well in us we we wanted to limit our advertisers right so and so already you're saying not only is it hard on newsstand and it's expensive to print and ship these things because we're doing high quality so it's heavy yes um and then you add the fact that we're limiting our upside in advertising Mm -hmm. and then we're you know we're doing we were doing a little bit more nostalgia and sort of paying homage to the craigs and those people which is and that was appreciated sort of but it was early it was too it was early. too early yeah it was too early because the yeah like you're saying snowboarding was kind of lost and it didn't have that anchor and it had never looked back yet because it was always like what's next year's thing oh it's going to be stepping oh now it's going to be you know a toe strap that goes over your mm-hmm. a toe cup or whatever like it was always there was always some sort of buzzword or some new invention like that was invented to be the next new thing. Yeah. There was never like, who's going to put together a team of legends or who's, who's going to support, you know, brushy after he's off ride or whatever. There was none of that. Nothing. 
Well, and then you have us, you know, we're, so we're trying to figure it out and keep it, you know, do this version of pure and do limited number of issues per year and, and whatever. And, and then I, I realized we printed two issues and I'm like, we don't have enough money because you're seeing the cost and you're seeing the revenue and you're like, okay. Um, and keep in mind, Foster and I never run the books right. like that ever. Right. We just wait. We just called ourselves publisher. I was like, that's a good idea. We'll each be, you know, a co-publisher. It's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, seems like a good title. Yeah. We'll go with this for a while. Um, <laughs> so then we started to posture the, the business to be sold. And by the fifth issue, we had new ownership. So that was future. Okay. Bought us. And then they were launching, you know, future snowboarding and a bunch of other things. And, and then I tr- got transitioned over to run that group. And so it was five years in magazine publishing. Oh, wow. And then, um, you know, future one day to society, like, uh, we're done. We're not going to invest in the, we're going to stay in the video game industry, which is where they make their money. And, uh, even though they thought that it was a similar mindset from action sports as gamers and they could find parallels. Yeah. Um, they just, you know, the, the leadership there was like, no, we're going to, we're going to stay pure. There was a weird time in there where X games, video games, they, they were trying to put things together. And well, some people put it together. Tony Hawk did pretty well putting it together. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so. But that's like Tony Hawk put together. You know, the game was skateboarding for like a video console as opposed to genius. Yeah. I mean, he made a lot of money. Definitely. A lot of people made a lot of money on that. Yeah. That partnership. But he took a lot of heat for it too, right? Like he had to. He's always taking a lot of heat. You Since know. he was a kid, absolutely. Uh, it's never, I don't think the industry's been that kind to him. No, I don't you think know? so either. He's, I've listened to some of his things and he's very generous and yeah. very kind in return to an industry that seems to have been really tough on him. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Totally. That's That's the vibe I'm getting for sure. But I mean, he also is like one of the guys that made the money there like in snowboarding there's not there's not very many people like sean white's not making what tony hawk made there is no there is a sean white video game but not in the same yeah it's not the same no and skateboarding is just way bigger than snowboarding as an industry as as a thing i'm surprised they went to the olympics but i guess i haven't been following it so like comp- competitive skateboarding has been doing really well, right? Like tele- television-wise and all I that I don't stuff. know. I mean, viewership numbers and stuff, you, you just – it's all, let's just face it. It's all hard. Okay. You know, yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter what you're doing in any industry. It's hard. And if you're not going to, like, buckle in and work hard. Right. If you're just going to do it purely as a lifestyle business. Yeah. You better just love it because it's going to have some bumps, you know, <laughs> yeah, and they're going to be hard, yes, you know, it's totally. gonna be, those are going to be hard. So, um, but to survive and be, there is no overnight success, you know, ride was probably the closest thing to, um, you know, launch and boom explosion well, that I've ever seen. Well, that's a really good point. Ride wouldn't have worked when Chuck and Ernie and Jake and Tom are prototyping shit that doesn't work. They, they we and seventy percent of what you send out the door is returned for right, replacement, because right? Of breaks. Right. So, like, 
ride exploded right at exactly the time where you basically had a generic board. Elan was making boards for enough people that their boards were fine. Yeah. They were heavy, but they actually worked fine. And they could print good graphics and they had a good turnaround and they had a capacity for making them. Like that couldn't have happened before that time. Right. And I think I don't see, I don't see a way to do it. And then, and it's just really like when we were doing the magazines and I was explaining to, you know, our, my bosses, I just kept saying Volcom wasn't built in a day (laughs) That was because it's like, this thing was a sticker and t-shirt company. Let's all face it. Yeah. 10 years later, everyone's like, look at the success. And it's like, it's 10 years. It takes 10 years. It takes 10 years. It really does. And so, um, and I would never discourage anybody from like jumping in and figuring out because there's a lot of creativity that can surprise us. Yes. But it is a grind. Well, that's a total yeah, grind. As and soon as you start getting that success, you've got 10 people that are looking going, I might be, we may be able to do this better, right? Like think of how many times Jake had to fail forward and the amount of stock that he would have sat on. Like, when you go all in on a year and then you just were off by a little bit <clears throat> and somebody else just comes in and starts mowing your grass, Jeremy Jensen, who I would consider the top powder surfer in the world, right? Like he, he rides like no binding boards, like no one else. And he makes them hand makes them too. But as soon as his boards got to the point where you could basically ride a resort on the board on a pow day, well, then Burton starts putting out pow boards and they have, they didn't have the overhead of making a bunch of crappy ones first. They can just make a board that works. Yeah. And with their distribution, he's literally sitting in his garage making every single one. They can just go, ah, oh, let's make, you know, 1500 of these over in Austria and, and price them a little cheaper and take over that whole genre. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think that's where we are in business now. Is that uh, is that if you've got a good idea, there's a good chance twenty other people have that good idea. And they have it, and and a few of them are going to have, and they're all going to have a competitive edge in some area. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, who's going to pull the most pieces together and, and be successful? And if you um, with this whole venture capitalism, you can sell your good idea to people. I'm being reluctant right now because I've got a friend who's, I, he's he's like ten years into a a bad idea, you know, like where he's building expensive shit and getting that hype and rolling it along and finding investors in an idea that's not ever going to work. But the money people get, they're like, wow, this seems like a great idea. If this works, we're really we're but some going people's to the moon. business is that business. Yeah, yeah, and his isn't. He really I, believes I've in met his idea. People whose yeah. business is raising money. Yeah, I could see and it, the, and they're good at that business. I could and see people it. jump in and they do the whole thing, and like you know, it's basically they raise money and they burn money and they, yeah, never give a return, and that's <laughs> right. just right. That's how some people are. As sad as it sounds, it's how some people operate. You know, and I think that's what I, I was just hearing always like over here. I have tried at least to be a part of brands and movements that are, that can improve. Like, you know, each year you see 
that you're moving. Yeah. And there's a passion in what they're making. You're like, right. This is like, this is going to be, this is becoming legit or this is, this was, this was struggling before. And now it's legit. Like we can be a powerhouse. Cool. Like we can look at this thing and go, look what we did. Holy crap. We did that. That's cool. Right. Um, instead of being like, nah, we just, you know, we raised a bunch of money. We just pedal every day and just pedal, 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 pedal. Well, that's what I heard on the way over here was that some, someone, it's going to be the first trillionaire. I don't know who they were talking about, but they were basically saying that he's charismatic and he's a money raising phenom, but he's giving most of it to charity, which makes people want to like invest in what he, but he's not really doing anything. He's just like raising, like pulling out, he's like Robin Hood or something, pulling all this money out yeah. of investors and then just giving it to companies that, you know, that are working on the environment or whatever. So, I mean, of course, yeah. It just goes back to, you got to do what you love. Like, yeah. That's it. Just yeah. do the stuff you love. Yeah. You know, and if you don't, then what are you doing? Right, right. As much as you want to hate on someone that's doing something like Jamie, who's raising money and, and buying brands and selling stuff cheap that's got like a cool label on it, and as much as I don't like that, he does. You can see he's joyful. He's having a great time. Yeah. He and his kids are involved, and he's he's like everybody here works for me. Look at that. Isn't that neat? You know, he loves it. He loves it. So I, I think that there's yeah, do what yeah, you there's love. something about that. But uh, yeah, I I just bring you that don't up have to, to agree today. with everybody's yeah. yeah practice beliefs. You know, you don't have to, you're never going to agree with everybody and they're not all going to agree with you. Right, right. And so why limit it to, you know, to one category, you know, well, it can apply to business. I think it's really important that that is the positive thing because our generation, typically when we're talking off mic about um, how this generation's coming up and they've, they're eliminating competitions, everyone gets a ribbon. So there's no first, second, third. They're eliminating genders as they, they want to be called they, them, or they want to, they're eliminating all these things that were like stable for us that we really take comfort in. Mm-hmm. But if you pick below the surface a little bit, like we didn't get to just follow what we love. You know what I mean? Like if I loved flowers, I would have got beat up, like physically beaten. You know what I mean? Or if I loved something that was, not like masculine breaking things and being boisterous, I would have got, and, and then also extroverts versus introverts. Like we just oppressed introverts forever, even though they get, they do all the thinking, they come up with all the good ideas. It was like, you need to be loud. You need to put your face on a poster. You, Yeah. I just, I think you don't need to be anything. You need to be you. Correct. That's, you always that's just it. need to be you. That's and it. if you're in a circle of, or if you're in an environment that doesn't appreciate you for being you, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You gonna, are you going to adapt? Right. Fit into the environment? Right. You can make that choice. You're going to change environments. You can make that choice. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that don't, I get it all the time when I'm on like work stuff, work calls, and they're like, "Oh, you're in San Diego, it must be nice." And I'm like, "Make good decisions, people." Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I wasn't born here. Yeah, 
I, every time I go back to Ontario, I'm like, you don't have to live here at all. Like, no one has to. You can move wherever anywhere. you want. It's a big world, and there's lots of transportation available. Choose what you want, and then go and get it. Absolutely. Yeah, you, and if you want to sample, yeah, like a lot of people just cruise around, sample, 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 and, you know, that's fine, too. Like, do yeah. that. Like, I, I think that as long as people are doing what makes them happy and they're contributing really we're we're in a good spot at the end of the day that's the only thing you get to experience is your life like your experiences mm-hmm. what are coming in to your experiences and if you've got a a lever you can pull that makes those experiences better you should probably do it i think that's what snowboarding was wasn't it like it was like this thing came along and at the time that you were a pro there were no pros you were a pro making money at a thing that if if I would have told my parents that you know they would have been like that's not a thing. Oh, I I didn't I never told people what I did because <laughs> right. it was just like it's too hard to explain. <laughs> right, it's always the same question. What do you do? I I snowboard professionally. Right. Wait, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. You yeah. make money. Yeah. yeah. How much money do you make? I I can't tell you. <laughs> we have confidentiality. Come on. Yeah. How much money you make? You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. So what do you say? I just kind of hang out. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was always the thing. I just hang out. What do you do? I, I run around, chase winter when I can. And, <laughs> and you just avoid it. You just move on. What do you do? You know, you just yeah. change the subject. Yeah. Because people didn't understand it. And now. And then, and the last thing you want to do is get into this thing. Well, I make more money. You know, like. Right, that's, right. That's I make stupid. more money doing something I love. Because that's a dumb conversation. Who wants to have that? Who wants to listen to that? Right. Well, what ends up happening, though, is that now kids are, are like my son's friend in you know high school was saying i want to be a red bull athlete like that was his you know life goal that was like you know he mm. told his guidance counselor that you know what i mean and people know what that means oh a red bull athlete mm. you know it's like saying i want to be an olympian or something like that well there's only you know it's every four years there's only one guy that wins gold like that everyone wants to be that guy and it's hard. It's very, very difficult. But I think that that has entered into the lexicon of, you know, even parents encouraging their kids. Like, I don't know, there's a lot of parents out there right now saying, like, you should be a bricklayer. Or like, you know, it's like, you should, I mean, <laughs> you should be a YouTube star, or whatever it is. Yeah. It's very confusing. And whatever the game is today... It's going to change in three to five years. Yeah. It's going to entirely. And, and, you know, so it's like, yeah, give give the kids a good experience, um, teach them the right values. If they like something, encourage it. Yeah. If they don't like something, um, move away from that, I guess, you know? Yeah. Uh, That's really it. And then you never really know. You know, I, I got to, my parents just let me go snowboarding and do my thing and they didn't force me to do anything else um and that was pretty nice you know yeah you just kind of go chase it and it worked out yeah it worked out really really well a lot of fun you know we were we were very lucky yeah like uh lightning striking you know it was having just been there at donner and seeing where it all began i was at the donner quarter pipe yesterday looking up going this changed the world this like one little run here changed the world 
and still some of the most iconic photos in the sport. I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, there was style. TK on the hand plant. Keith Campbell on Crazy. That. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I look at these things every time they turn up, you know, I yeah. mean, I was still, I'm such a huge Kidwell fan and um, basically anybody, the early Sims team, they were it. That was the ones. Yeah. You know, I didn't look up to the Burton team. I looked up to the Sims team. Yeah. Right. You know, it was, right. it was Terry, it was Craig, it was Sean, it was Bert Lamar, it was Rob Morrow was on there. I mean, all these guys, they Todd, had, yeah. uh, Todd wasn't there yet. This was before Todd. I hadn't yeah. met Todd, yeah. you know, it's sort yeah. of like, Oh yeah. Right. So the, I'm talking like, yeah. Yeah. Mini shred and that's time, you know, those totally. guys were, that was black and white quarter pipe shots. And the video is just insane. I saw wine rock with my eyes yesterday. Wine rock. Would it's huge. It? I would never hit that. <laughs> it's dangerous. It just take you out. Too. I've never seen it in prison. I heard it's, it's flat. very flat. It's nuts, but it's, it's actually huge. Like I was wondering if it was like a lens trick. And I see what the lens trick Did is. Did Terry even have high backs on that? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. But he definitely had style. Like he's so not flailing style. at all in that. And all the stuff of that era was flail. Like when you'd see the videos yeah. of those sessions, you're like, wow. But that, you know, that one iconic image is like, it just makes you want to go out, go snowboarding. Yep. Unreal. Fun sport. Awesome. Mom. Well, Thank you. Thank you for having me in your home. And we got to go for a rip sometime when you're... Do you have a place up at Tahoe that you go to still? We have or? a place in Mammoth. In Mammoth. Yeah. Cool. I so, haven't been to Mammoth yet, so... Uh. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's fun. It's You know, it's better for us with the kids. It's not as far. Tahoe's a bit of a hike in the car. Yeah, you I know, just... It's nine hours and no. Mammoth six. Yeah. Yeah, six is kind of the edge. <laughs> kids are older now, so you can, they can handle it. But when they were younger, it was a lot of stops. It would take eight hours, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah. That's totally. Right on. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Awesome. F and Rad shout-outs this week to Jason Ford and his family for letting me do this interview in their home. Also, thanks to Jason for showing me some of the absolute gems he's collected over the years. He's got a real archive of some heavy boards in amazing conditions so sick to see congratulations to listener adam o'connor who won last week's beneath apparel giveaway be sure to go to effenrad youtube channel and comment i want free 1910 shit in the comments of this episode or tag three friends in the instagram post along with at 1910 and i'll pick a new winner for this sunday thanks so much to scope and the rad hookup and killer interview be sure to come back next week for another episode of the F and Rad Snowboard Podcast presented by Vans and brought to you by F and Rad Snowboarding.